Welcome to Episode 6 of Mission Transition, Powering BC's Clean Energy Economy. We're a Sierra Club BC podcast mini-series about the transition to the next economy. And in this, our final episode, we're taking a look back at the ground that we've covered in this series and look forward to the next steps for all of us. Hi, I'm Susan Elrington, along with Caitlin Vernon from Sierra Club BC. Hello, Caitlin. Hello. And Caitlin, I'm so excited about this episode because we're talking about a story that I know we both find inspiring. Indeed, it comes from the Canadian Union of Postal Workers. They have this new initiative called Delivering Community Power. And when I first heard about it, I was like, yes, this is totally the kind of big picture thinking that we need. Yeah, and we're going to dive into that story in a few minutes. But first, I want to go back to why we produced this podcast. You know, we wanted to have a discussion about the possibilities of a new clean energy economy, a discussion that wasn't highly technical and that was based on what is already happening. We knew there were a lot of questions out there that needed to be raised. And there may not be simple solutions to everything, but wow, are there ever a lot of inspiring people and projects out there. You know, I loved hearing, for example, about the Lego houses and the double-decker buses that are being converted to electric, and about all the First Nations who are leading the way, like on Haida Gwaii, where... Uh, They're installing solar panels to get off of burning diesel. Yeah, all of these innovators have so much commitment and enthusiasm. You know, Caitlin, I keep thinking about Dave Grove. He owns the Royal Bay Bakery. And we met him at a forum that we sponsored with the Greater Victoria Chamber of Commerce here in Victoria last fall. We have PVs on the roof of an electric car for business to pick up supplies, deliveries. We have on-demand hot water. We bought new equipment, the steam oven and so on. It's a highly efficient uh, equipment as best we can, the oven itself. So we um, have been able to keep our utility bills be- uh, below $1,000 a month even though in the last 10 years, even though we've more than doubled our sales. Um, what else do we, you know, and then, uh, you know, insulating the building. It's a 70s built cinder block building with few qualities worth keeping. But we insulate it best we can and we work with that and try to improve the environment for the staff as well because if you have a nice efficient energy building it seems that the atmosphere works. And that's just the tip of the iceberg for Dave. What else does he have going on? Dave's enthusiasm is infectious, isn't it? He's made huge changes throughout his business to operate more sustainably. I went to interview him at his bakery and you'll hear more from Dave in our bonus episode. People like Dave aren't so rare these days. We're hearing more and more stories of people like him. Yeah, change is happening, and it's happening fast. You know, even from the time that we started producing this podcast last fall, we've seen big changes. One that sticks with me is now the introduction of big rig electric trucks. That wasn't even really on the popular horizon at all last fall. And in talking about how there is no simple solution, uh, we've talked about how technology is important and innovative and needed, uh, but that moving to a clean energy economy will be more than just the matter of flipping a switch from fossil fuels to solar power, for example. Uh, So we've heard about how this transition is a chance for all of us to think about what we consume and how we could consume less or differently. Yeah, that came up during that forum that we sponsored with the Greater Victoria Chamber of Commerce. You know, Caitlin, I went into that meeting expecting to hear complaints about the transition, but instead we heard from retailers like Caitlin Martin. She owns a boutique called Silver and Gold Clothing, and she talked about hoping customers think about buying less. I think this whole like fast fashion thing that we've gotten so deep down this rabbit hole, it just needs to stop. We need to all become aware of what's going 
going on. And I think people are people are really waking up to it um, with the with all of the factories that have been collapsing in Bangladesh and everywhere else. Um, people are really becoming aware of how poor the ethics in fashion are, and also how unsustainable it is. It's a starting locally, like like everyone else is saying, like you just have to become really aware of how you yourself are, are buying things. And it's the concept of like, buy well, make it last. And and don't buy a t-shirt that's cheaper than your coffee. Like the the concept of that is so crazy, but we all do it. And it's, it's just stopping to think about where your money is going to and um, what industry it might be supporting. This is a way to look at our economy that reminds me of the interview that you did with Melina Labukam Massimo in episode four uh, about indigenous ways of viewing the economy that bring more balance to what we take and what we put back into the earth. Yeah. And the thing to consider is that, you know, the economy does not have to stay the way it's been for the past 70 years. Throughout history, economic activities have evolved to adapt to changing circumstances. And this period in history is no different. For example, we heard about that at the Victoria Forum from Kelly Anderson, who's with a company called Synergy. We need all of these things to happen. We need people making drastic changes, going to a 12-item wardrobe if they can. We need financial support for businesses who are doing the right thing. We need to be putting the money in what we want to support instead of what we are trying to get rid of. And we had a really cool conversation at the Synergy office today around a circular economy, how we need to, to rethink everything to put it back into a system and so we need the materials that come from our products to be recyclable into new materials we need to design things that can be taken apart and reused so my recommendation going away from today would be to look at the circular economy and how that can impact your business as well yeah, so, Caitlin, there we go. It's just another way of thinking about how we organize and value our activities. You know, by the way, Caitlin, you can find out more about the circular economy that Kelly mentioned there on our website at sierraclub.bc.ca slash podcast. This idea of rethinking our economy is why I was so excited when I came across the program called Delivering Community Power. It's an initiative of the Canadian Union of Postal Workers, and I know, Sue, you spoke to the president of the union about it. I did, and we'll have more of my discussion with him in a moment. You're listening to Mission Transition, Powering BC's Clean Energy Economy. Hi, I'm Susan Elrington, along with Caitlin Vernon from Sierra Club BC. Before the break, we talked about rethinking how we participate in the economy and mentioned the Canadian Union of Postal Workers, who have an exciting and inspiring approach to this. I spoke to Cup W National President Mike Palasek just as the union was getting ready to head into negotiations, and he described the program to me. So this is a campaign that the union launched, imagining, well, reinventing our economy in a way that uh, allows us to tackle the, the challenges of climate change. And we think that the post office can play a central role in that and should actually play a leading role in it. Canada Post is one of the largest pieces of federal infrastructure. It's the largest retail network in the country. It's the largest vehicle fleet in the country. Uh, And it makes sense that a crown corporation uh, should be leading the way in in a way that uh, private industry won't. Uh, And that, frankly, is the purpose of Crown Corporations. So what would be involved in the initiative? Well, Caitlin, there's a lot to this program, beginning with the obvious. 
using electric vehicles. We'd like to see Canada Post uh, begin transitioning its vehicle fleet onto electric vehicles. Uh, we'd like to see Made in Canada uh, electric vehicles. Uh, currently, uh, that, uh, that's not an option. Uh, so uh, a large order from a, a large crown corporation could maybe make that happen. Uh, but also uh, we have this huge retail network, uh, and there are uh, public post offices uh, in, in communities all across this country. Uh, if you drive up the Trans-Canada Highway, for example, uh, you'll find small post offices in every small town right at the side of the highway. These would be ideal locations for, for charging stations, so you could uh, electrify uh, Canada's highway grid and, and allow uh, your average Joe to p pick up a vehicle and ma make uh, long-distance trips with it. So Canada Post can play a role in, in, in building the infrastructure that's needed to transition the, the rest of the country as well on, onto electric vehicles. The, the plan calls for uh, using some of uh, Canada Post's infrastructure, solar panels on, on the roofs uh, of our post offices, uh, maybe using some of uh, uh, land that's owned for solar panels for, for uh, uh, wind turbines. There are a whole lot of things that can be done with Canada Post, not only to, to reduce the carbon footprint of, of the Crown Corporation itself, but to actually lead the change that needs to happen in the economy. What about some of the not-so-obvious parts of the plan? Well, Mike says there's no reason Canada Post can't go outside its traditional work. The Delivering Community Power campaign also calls for a postal bank. This is a, a public bank operated through the post office. Uh, most of the industrialized world actually has this. In, in places where they do, they're able to use this bank to uh, provide other services. For example, in, in France, they use some of the profits of the public postal bank to fund a social housing program in the country. And we would think that a postal bank could be very useful in a just transition to a green economy, whether it be uh, targeted microloans around uh, green projects or simply making funds available from the profits uh, for this transition. The plan also calls for uh, uh, um, solutions around food security. Uh, certainly Food to the North uh, is something that Canada Post used to play a role in uh, before it was cut by Harper uh, or transitioned to a different program that was just then a direct subsidy for businesses. Uh, and uh, farm-to-table food solutions. So you mentioned the postal workers were heading into negotiations. Is this program on the bargaining table? Yeah, in fact, Mike says the union thinks the bargaining table is probably the only way forward. So we've been pushing for this for about a year and a half now. We haven't had, uh, frankly, a lot of interest in these proposals from management. So we're taking the approach of putting it on the, on the bargaining table because we actually have uh, some more power there, and we, we hope to negotiate some of these changes. It's a groundbreaking uh, step that we're taking. We're putting climate change on the bargaining table, uh, and we think that that's what needs to be done in order to make this happen. You know, when I think of climate change activists, posties are not necessarily <laughs> the first people to leap to mind. Why is CAPW so committed to this? Well, Mike says, you know, everyone is affected by climate change and postal workers are no different. For postal workers, um, the world is our workplace. How does climate change affect postal workers in, the, in their day-to-day -day lives? Well, 
I can introduce you to some letter carriers out in BC who had to deliver through the smoke of those fires this summer. You can't tell me that this isn't an issue that affects our working conditions, and we have every right to bargain on it. Not to be cynical here, but some people might say this is just a way for postal workers to keep their jobs, no? As email and text replaces letters? Yeah, I asked Mike about that. He says that's not so much an issue with the emergence of online shopping because of all of those parcels getting delivered. That's not such the concern, but actually leading the transition is what's key because there are no jobs on a dead planet. This country actually has a history of completely transforming the economy when necessary. You can look uh, back to World War II, for example. How does Mike think our current transition compares to World War II? I'll let him explain that. Over the space uh, of a few years, the entire Canadian economy was transformed. Uh, They took a million men, fed them, clothed them, trained them, armed them, mobilized them, shipped them overseas. They drafted women into the factories to to produce uh, weapons. They created a national child care program in order to facilitate doing that. Uh, And by the end of the war, uh, Canada had produced a massive amount uh, of weaponry uh, and had completely transformed its economy in a space of a few years. And Crown Corporations played a leading role role in that. They created a whole bunch of crown corporations to make that happen. They retooled auto plants and turned them into plants to to, uh, build uh, uh, bombers, to build uh, weaponry. And so what we're saying is uh, that a similar effort of mobilization to what happened during World War II is what's needed to actually tackle climate change. And if a government can do that to win a war, then you can do it to save a planet. And Caitlin, Mike says the CUPW plan calls on everyone to step up now. If you agree with it, contact your member of parliament. Tell them you'd like to see this happen. Because it's not going to happen with Canada Post on its own, to be honest. This plan requires the government to get on board and to decide that they're going to lead that transition and be the driving force to this new economy. As we said, we believe that it'll require a similar mobilization to what was done during World War II. Uh, and that's no small undertaking. It, it requires leadership. We'd like to see other unions as well go through a process like this. And I know uh, that's happening in the labor movement. Uh, certainly, if, if every union and every industry uh, could sit down and figure out what a just transition looks like in their industry, we could put that all together and we'd have a roadmap of what needs to be done. I think everyone is looking for that roadmap, and clearly we all need to work together to get there. You know, Sue, one thing that impressed me as we produced this series was how hungry so many people are for this very conversation. Everywhere we went, we heard suggestions for things that governments can do to make this transition happen faster. Here were just a few of the comments from the forums we held in Victoria, and we also held one in Prince George. We're sort of speaking to funding models and looking to innovate and find ways to use the money that's out there. We're looking to partner with UVic on a study that will be using the money from grants for seismic upgrades for buildings and how when you're upgrading a building seismically, you can also upgrade it to be way more energy efficient. I would like to see the GST and PST removed from all solar equipment, LED light bulbs, and the top 1% of appliances, the most efficient 1% of all appliances. It would promote, promote a lot of uh, green energy, I think, and it would, uh, more importantly, 
really perk up people's ears and make them aware that there are choices. All these, these municipalities that say they're, they're environmentally friendly and they have do not idle on their vehicles and everything, they all approve drive-through restaurants. Have you ever seen a, the lineup at a Timmy's or a McDonald's and they're idling like, why would you do that? Like, let's get communication and let's make logical decisions. So those were just a few suggestions for government. But, you know, there are things that you can do, too. For example, take the questions we've raised here out to your community. You know, if your kid's school is being seismically upgraded, ask if the energy efficiency is being upgraded at the same time. Or if you're a member of a union, you could ask your union what the plan is for this transition and how they might support you and your family through that. Absolutely. Take a look at where you've invested your money. Because as Jeremy Morehouse at Clean Energy Canada says, that's one of the best ways to bring big business on board with this transition. For businesses, Caisse de Depot in uh, Quebec is cutting the carbon footprint of its portfolio by 25%. So investors are starting to take notice of the climate risk and where they put their money. So it's one part realizing that, that some of the investments that come to support businesses are going to be looking increasingly at you know, how carbon polluting they are. So really, Sue, there's so many ways to get involved and we need all hands on deck. So, you know, you could find out how to energy retrofit your home or maybe join a community energy co-op or put solar panels on your roof. Yeah, electric cars are expensive, not accessible to everyone, but, you know, could car sharing services start to use electric cars or just even start using transit more often. Yeah, or we could lobby our local governments for more bike lanes and buses that are accessible and convenient. Um, In Metro Vancouver, there's an initiative right now called Mission Transition, the same as this podcast. It's being run by the organization Force of Nature in the lead up to the 2018 municipal elections that are just around the corner to try to get municipalities to support this transition to a fossil fuel-free future. And you can find a link to that mission transition on our website. Um, You know, you can support businesses that you see are making an effort to to make this move to a clean energy economy. There are a million little things that a million of us can do at a time. Yeah, really what it comes down to is that we can all make changes in our own lives. We can make changes in our communities and in our neighborhoods, and we can be lobbying our governments for the more systemic changes that we also know we need to see, right, to, to support the, the larger scale transition uh, across all of society. So we can talk to government at all levels, whether that's federal, provincial, municipal, indigenous governments. Tell them what kind of investments you want to see. So instead of investing in fossil fuels, what are the what are the technologies and the infrastructure and the social security net of the future that we could be investing in instead? And never underestimate the power of conversation. Talk to your neighbors, talk to your friends, talk to your government officials, talk to your kids' teachers, talk to your doctor. Anybody will tell you that if they come in contact with me, there's a good chance they're going to get into a long conversation about these things. But I always find people are fascinated by it. And I do really believe people want to make change. The more we talk about it, the more likely we are to make change. You know, I often have people ask me, um, maybe they're concerned about climate change or they're concerned about something that's happening in the world, and they say to me, what can I do? And really, you know, we've just rattled off a whole bunch of suggestions, but the main thing is to find something that you have energy for and do something that you're passionate about. And for each of us, that's going to look different. Consider stepping outside your comfort zone and doing more. Stretch a little bit. Consider doing something new. Um, and as a very easy action... <laughs> 
the the new BC government has promised to make climate solutions a priority. And so you can send a letter to Premier Horgan and BC's Environment and Energy Ministers to keep their promise about this and to, to move BC towards a green economy that has well-paying jobs, uh, green jobs across the province. So you can go to sierraclub.bc.ca slash podcast. And then at the very top right, click Take Action for Clean Energy, and you can send a letter there. And with that in mind, we wrap up this mini-series. But I can't do that without saying some thank yous. Uh, We owe a huge debt of gratitude to all the people who gave their time to speak with me, people from all over BC, all over Canada. Too many to mention them all, so please do check out our website and explore all of the links to the various organizations there. I'd also like to thank the Greater Victoria Chamber of Commerce, particularly Executive Director Catherine Holt, who immediately stepped up with enthusiasm when I approached her to partner with us. Ian Gregg at CFUR in Prince George was also an incredible help with our forum there, and I'd like to thank him for all the support. A huge thank you as well to the North Growth Foundation. They made this podcast series possible. And we'd like to produce more podcasts, but we need your help to do that. If you've enjoyed this series, please consider making a donation to fund our next series. It's easy, online at sierraclub.bc.ca slash podcast. A huge thank you to all the staff at Sierra Club BC who have helped in various ways to publish this podcast, including Britton Jacob Schramm and Tim Pearson and Simone Cotterell, the voice of our Mythbusters. But deserving of special mention is communication specialist Kat Zimmer, whose extraordinary professional abilities are matched only by her kind, patient and fun approach to her work and uh, to this colleague in particular. Also, a big thank you, Caitlin, to Caitlin Vernon, who is Campaigns Director at Sierra Club BC. Caitlin, it has been a pleasure working with you, and I have to tell you how much I've appreciated your intelligence and your patience through this whole process. Oh, and thank you, Sue, for being the vision and the voice of this podcast and for all the extensive research and interviews that you did. Oh, that's kind of you. Thanks, Caitlin. But most of all, thank you, our listeners, for participating on Facebook and Twitter. Please share this podcast with friends and family. Keep the conversation alive. I'm Susan Elrington. Thank you for listening.